you want if you're gonna explore this kind of darkness then go yeah. into the heart of it you know yeah then, don't then, don't do it halfway yeah no don't walk up to it and then look through the you know through the through your hands or <laughs> right. look away at the last second and yeah Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by my fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to welcome you to the final episode of our special series titled Cinema of Nuclear Dread, in which we can finally talk about Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Before we begin, if you enjoy our show and want to help us keep it going, you can support us in two ways. The first is to listen to Cinema of Meaning on Nebula, which lets you enjoy each episode completely ad-free and a week early. The second way is to join our Discord community on Patreon, where you can discuss movies with us and with fellow listeners. Both Nebula and Patreon will also give you instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Last month we did Asteroid City, which should be up soon, but there's tons of others. For more information, check out the description, you'll find everything you need in there. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning, now back to the show. Yeah, Thomas, we both saw Oppenheimer, it's, we're recording this about 24 hours, for me at least, after I saw the movie, for you it's even less, uh, because of time dif- difference. What was... Can you capture briefly the, <laughs> the 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 first impression of watching this giant, dense historical biopic slash existential exploration <laughs> of humans causing their own doom and opening Pandora's box with no way of closing it back? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um. <laughs> I I uh, dropped my car keys in uh, in the theater and I had to go back in to to get them. And the guys that were cleaning up, one of them was like, "Hey, uh, how was Oppenheimer?" Because I saw like the first available screening, and mm-hmm. uh, I was just like, um, "That's a really difficult question to answer." <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, at that point, and I feel like I still am like, "What is this like?" you know, 16 hours later, I still am kind of just like trying to wrap my head around the movie. It's a, it's a lot of movie. It's really long and it's maybe Nolan's like most dense Hmm. movie. It's just like, there's a few moments where we get a break from what feels like just like wall to wall dialogue essentially. And just like flipping back and forth between names and places and history and, uh, you know, it's like scientific exposition, political exposition, historical exposition, um, and and then like the personal life of yeah. Oppenheimer, character relations, character relationships, like all swirled together into this mix, and then like the backdrop of that is like the development of this, uh, the atomic bomb. Um, so yeah, there's a lot going on, and uh, I have somewhat mixed feelings about it like there's there's moments there's moments where i felt like oh maybe this is the best thing while i was watching it, i was like this might be the best thing that nolan's ever made and then there were there were moments where i was just like completely captivated by what it was doing and then there were also moments where i just felt like i was being kind of like 
hit over the head repeatedly with like this <laughs> yeah. just like droning onslaught there was a second where i was like oh we should have named this series not like um you know the cinema of nuclear dread but like the cinema of the dread of like banal american bureauc- bureaucratic military politics or something yeah. like <laughs> that that's uh, the real one <laughs> yeah that's the real like the real like villain in the shadows of this movie is not the nuclear bomb but just like the men behind the scenes who are like pulling the strings um yeah yeah and there there's something about that that was very chilling yeah i definitely think you're touching on a very relevant thematic aspect of the movie yes, there. That yeah. there's a literal line in the movie where he i think um robert downey jr's uh character talks about that the amateurs they seek out the power in the light or from the sun or something like that uh whereas real power like the real pros they know how to hide it in the shadows and that's kind of his character yeah yeah um which i think is a in hindsight was a great way to frame this movie or at least the conflict the real conflict that is in the in this movie which is not so much the bomb but rather um those in power who wield it and the kind of almost petty uh, emotions that come into play with that and the or the, just the relation between these very emotional human beings who have to deal with these very more mathematical or more more physical aspects of the world in a way um, that maybe gives them too much power for what they are capable of handling. And um, that to me is what stood out thematically the most, I think, on first impression. But yeah, yeah as, you, as you said, it, it was very dense and I was anticipating the whole... Uh, sort of the colored portion of the movie the uh, there's two storylines the fission I think it was called and fusion uh, the first being Oppenheimer's exploration into his field of study him going to all these colleges and learning about uh, nuclear stuff and eventually moving into the Manhattan project and then there's that second storyline which is more from uh, Strauss's character uh, played by Robert Downey Jr., who is going to this other hearing, um, the black and white portion of the movie, and who also has this interacts with Oppenheimer in this strange way that doesn't get revealed until pretty close to the end. And I was saying, like, I was prepared for that colored bit of the movie where I thought, like, okay, this is going to be about Oppenheimer studying these physics, developing the nuclear bomb, then maybe struggling with the implications of that as the bomb was actually being used in Japan. But I had no historical context for that other storyline. I had no idea who Strauss was. Maybe uh, my European education just didn't cover enough of American politics or American history, but... This era of American politics isn't isn't like my strong suit, but I also didn't know who he was. So uh, it's not just the fact that you're European... uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's like he's delving into more specific political or like historical territory here than i think what even most americans are probably familiar with yeah i can imagine it was a huge challenge because you're essentially smashing together these two wholly different political contexts the first being of the second world war and the other one being of the cold war which i guess is to some extent deliberate as that was also I guess, uh, Oppenheimer's experience as he went from being this hero 
quote-unquote of the Second World War into the context of the Cold War, where his former uh, buddies from Russia were suddenly like his enemies and every communist interaction he had with those around him was suddenly a moment or, or, or like a suspect aspect of his yeah. uh, character. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I can imagine for him that was also um, a weird sort of whiplash that he wasn't anticipating. And that was yeah. maybe to some extent also what Nolan wanted to give, convey this kind of whiplash effect from going from one context uh, and being thrust into another where everything is suddenly turned upside down and turned on its head and um, where he's now suddenly facing all these attacks on his character and on his reputation and so on. And and having kind of the backdrop, the context of what you're doing and why sort of change as you're doing it, I think was something that the movie com- like conveyed fairly well. Um, hmm. There's so much here, perhaps before we get like too deep into the movie itself, because I think there's a lot to discuss here, maybe outside of just what this is saying about the bomb specifically. Um, But like maybe maybe it would be interesting or there's two things I want to say here. First is we haven't really gotten into spoiler territory yet. And I think this is one where maybe we'll try to like. I don't really know how much spoilers there actually are in this movie because it's just historical Almost yeah. everything that happens is there's no real spoilers to the story itself, but maybe right. to some extent How to it's... the way Nolan um, right. captures it. Yeah, we'll try to notify anyone before we get into that territory, since this is still out in theaters, and maybe more people are listening to this who haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet. Um, so I'll say that, and then the other thing I would say is there's you know this is part three of our nuclear dread series, as you mentioned at the beginning. Um, you know, it might be interesting at the beginning to just kind of like contextualize where we both feel this movie is kind of landing in this kind of like discussion, the cinematic like where where yeah, do yeah. you feel like this movie falls in terms of its treatment of this subject matter and how it's coming at just like the basic fact of, you know, the development and deploying of the the first nuclear or you know uh this nuclear weapon yeah um yeah i think in many ways it's an interesting sort of synthesis of the two episodes we did before this because in the first one we talked about uh movies like dr strangelove um feel safe which are more of these political movies they talked about the political conflicts relating to the nuclear bomb um the philosophy of nuclear deterrence. And then the second episode, we talked more about the trauma from nuclear war or nuclear yeah. the nuclear bomb and the fear of and the way that gave uh, rise to this uh, now iconic metaphor, the Godzilla. We talked about the original one, the latest uh, Garrett Edwards one, the 2014 one, um, which wasn't the latest, but the latest uh, reboot, I guess. And the way the metaphor changed over time and is different for the Japanese and for the Americans. Um, and so, yeah, I think Oppenheimer kind of had an interesting combination there where it uh, it's obviously very political heavy or right. very heavy on the politics. But it's also 
uh, at least it tries to be this very subjective perspective that tries to grapple with the consequences. So there's also this element of that you're watching the perspective, not just from those who are making the decisions, but also from those who are living with the consequences of it. Um, which I guess is not so much from the victim's point of view, but in some ways the scientists have an, there's an, not entirely unsimilar, you know, they obviously don't have to struggle with the literal trauma that um, the actual victims at Hiroshima and Nagasaki were struggling with, but it's still, there's a perspective there, I think, that um, kind of is more focused on the question of conscience and the question of uh, personal psychology and um, that in combination with the uh, dynamics of politics, the dyna dynamics of power, I think made for a very interesting exploration that I think in by and large is fair to the historical debate around it. Like I don't think it right, shied right. away from either um, sanitizing Oppenheimer as a character and his achievements. Um, but it was also, I think, uh, not condemning him entirely. I think it still had a uh, rightful sympathy for his, uh, the way he was essentially caught in this uh, trap almost that ran out of his control. Like I think the setup or the premise of we have to do this, otherwise the Nazis will, I think is compelling, at least from a uh, historical point of view and from a psychological point of view. I think it's um, compelling. I think it's to some extent sympathetic um, in the way that uh, that's, I think, how human beings just work. Like that's how fear works as a driving force within us. That's how, you know, decisions are made um, a lot of the times. And, um, but I also like that it's, you know, while being sympathetic of Oppenheimer's plight to some extent, it also explores quite critically um, his position to his own achievement or his attitude towards his own achievement and the way he at first seemingly um, seems to distance himself from any application of the bomb. He's just like, I'm just the science guy, I just make it and then it's up to others to deal with the consequences and there's i think the movie does right to explore that paradox where he obviously is taking part in something that he's also trying to somehow keep his hands clean from yes yeah um and also in the way he afterwards tries to it seems seek out some kind of it, it almost feels like the uh oppenheimer as depicted here is seeking out some kind of punishment that he wants to be uh, tarred and feathered, I think, is is mentioned at some point that uh, by Emily Blunt's character who plays his wife, that he's almost, uh, yeah, he's almost inviting um, some kind of reckoning for himself in order to uh, find peace for his own conscience. And I think that also invokes a very interesting question of... Um, whether or not the individual conscience is capable of reckoning with something that's this big and right, right. how that plays out psychology, uh, psychologically. Yeah. Um, I think all that was very well done. Um, 
from a conceptual point of view, I don't think the movie um, held back with regards to um, portraying the inner the, the paradox of Oppenheimer's character to some extent. Uh, there's some parts where I did felt the movie could have pushed a little bit further, or where I felt like the uh, Nolan was kind of stuck between wanting to have this honest depiction of like deep dark humanity while also being or wanting to be the the mainstream blockbuster director like there were i felt some moments that i had seen done better in different movies and uh that kind of took the edge off i think for me where that maybe should have been a little bit more edge um we'll talk about that maybe uh in, in a moment but um uh, for example, the way Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki and the aftermath of that were treated, I think that could have been a little bit more of a punch there. Um, yeah, it yeah. was pretty tame at this point, uh, or or in this uh, uh, as it stands now. Right, and I think I would I would agree with everything you're saying. Like, um, I think one thing that I was glad to see was at least kind of textually and how the material is treated um there's i i feel like the the subject matter of like the justification or the debate of the justification of the bomb is treated i felt well like i was concerned it would tip too heavy in the direction of like um you know it being justified but there's it explains like what the people at the time were thinking in terms of like, this is why we should or have to do this. And then um, it also, I felt like laid out like the questionable nature of those justifications pretty well. Um, and I was, I was worried it would make it feel like, you know, this was inevitable or had to happen or something like that. And it didn't lean too heavily at all into that territory yeah. um, except to the extent that Nolan is kind of painting it as this sort of like the inevitability of this giant machine that this one man is caught inside of and is unable like any one yeah, character yeah. is unable to control so it just you know pushes forward like knocking down everything in its path uh, there's an inevitability in that sense but not an inevitability in the sense of like like it was morally um yeah. sort of there was no other option i think it, it clearly shows like there there kind of was at moments and should have or could have been more of of a discussion about uh about the choice to to use the bomb and um and 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 should have been more of a reckoning with it afterwards um you know while it was happening uh and kind of how you know some of maybe how oppenheimer himself was treated was like part of this process of like not wanting to grapple with the bomb itself but just uh you know move on or something like that um mm -hmm. so yeah i was i was very i was very interested by all of that um but i like you there was some some tension there that is going to be, I think, hard to describe, but I think we'll get into discussing at some point. There was certainly some tension there for me in regards to what you're saying as well, where it was like, there comes a certain moment where it's like all of, all of the, the 
the people involved, the politics, et cetera, et cetera, feels kind of like in the reality of things, it's a backdrop to the horror and reality of what the bomb is and what it did in Japan. And the movie never really like the movie like flirts with that idea, but it never fully embraces that. Like it, it, it ultimately, ultimately the movie is Oppenheimer. It's, it's, it's got Oppenheimer's name on it. It's about Oppenheimer and it's about Oppenheimer more than it is about the atomic bomb. I think, um, which is like, yeah, uh, you know, not not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, it creates this interesting tension in the film itself. Yeah, there's a bit of a paradox there where I think the movie wants to, because it, it, it's intrinsically links the bomb and its consequences to um, Oppenheimer's more personal psychology and his psyche. But at the same time, it doesn't... I feel like it connects the two very obviously and very clearly. But at the same time, it also doesn't go quite as deep into either of them to really give an insight into the fullness of either one. Um, Like, for example, the uh, colored part of the movie is supposed to be... um, Oppenheimer's subjective experience and this is very clearly shown where um, especially after the Trinity test has happened or even at the very beginning you can see these uh, when he's studying there's this sequence where he's learning about physics and he's visualizing all these atoms and particles and it's depicted with these really nice images that um, are supposed to be you know how all this plays in his head but I feel like as much as I love that sequence, I think that was one of the early montages that I really enjoyed. That that great uh, score behind it that you also get to hear again at the end. Uh, it's a great montage and a great bit of visual storytelling in a movie that is otherwise very uh, heavy on the dialogue. I also felt when I started thinking about it more, like um, maybe it was a little bit too much... It was more the impression of subjectivity rather than a true um, peek into what he or how Oppenheimer thinks. Like you had these uh, these visualizations, but they were always these very like quick shots or quick uh, like cutaway shots, and um, then the story moved on. Like there was no yeah. Uh, at at least to me, it felt there was no real. Um, feeling of contemplation there um like i thought about this because uh, nolan mentioned uh, tarkovsky as an influence they apparently watched the mirror uh, right. beforehand even though i guess the sacrifice is more directly relatable because it's also more about contemplating um nuclear annihilation but he mentions specifically tarkovsky's use of uh, these very tactile shots and this very heavy use of like textures and uh, these long deliberate movements. But if you look at that in a Tarkovsky movie, you can see that there's these very long shots. They, he really lets you sit with these images. It's not just, oh, here's a shot of with great texture. Like there's also yeah. the time that's given to really let that sink in and to let that... Um, 
do its magic and I felt like with Nolan there was a, or in Oppenheimer Nolan doesn't really give you a chance to really connect with that he gives you he shows you what it is like but he doesn't bring you into that world uh, as much as I had hoped maybe it gets better on the second viewing when you're not concerned with where the hell is all this dialogue going <laughs> right. and, yeah, yeah. and when you Catching can just more the details. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's I think my main gripe with after this first impression of Oppenheimer that it's Nolan is he's so good at doing these big bold moments with the grand score and everything coming together like that's where he's just one of the best one of the greatest um, but I don't think he's very good at uh, cultivating silence yes, uh, yes he does that's that moment with the slightly moving into spoiler territory or I guess with the way he um visualizes the trinity test where there is uh you know w w when you have a moment so big there's almost no other way to do it but silent in the, the same way that the last chat i did it for example with that uh light speed uh shot of where the right. one ship goes into light speed and it crashes into all the others you know when you have a moment this big there's almost no way to capture that other than eliminating like all the other variables like sound and just having the visual there and I felt like that was a very nice snippet of what silence could achieve in a movie, which to me made it almost feel like a shame that he didn't do it on more occasions. Yeah. yeah. Um, that he only, you know, he seems to blast past everything so fast that there's no right. real uh, way to linger like uh, on any given moment and really have a moment where you, you know, genuinely settle into Oppenheimer's perspective. And um, yeah. That's also, a, to me, where um, after the Trinity test, where it also felt like, you know, at the same time, you're you're put into Oppenheimer's head when he's experiencing these visions and this obvious remorse. You know, he's hallucinating these uh, these visions of the, the nuclear blast and the damage that it, it done, especially in that uh, auditorium sequence, which I think was really well done. Yeah, I agree. But that the same time it also feels like the movie wants to have uh, some ambivalence about what Oppenheimer was thinking or feeling like it wants to respect the unknowability of this real historical person like he doesn't want to uh, you know he knows he wants to go inside his head but he knows there's a limit as to how far he can really go before venturing into like speculation and that's uh, unfortunately also what kind of makes his that subjective experience of the inside or like the inner right. world of Oppenheimer feel a little bit shallow at times and where I feel like maybe more of an uh, internal monologue could have been interesting in the way like Terrence Malick does that to really, um, you know, either, you know, put us in the head of this character and really put us there off or have this more of a outside perspective that's trying to understand them but that recognizes that there's no way of really knowing what, what's right. what's going on and now it feels like there was the movie was kind of juggling both in a way that um was effective sometimes but also not others like uh as i said i think that auditorium sequence was very well very well done um but at the same time there were also other moments where i felt like the movie was interesting precisely because we didn't know what was what Oppenheimer was thinking and then 
there were moments where it was kind of juggled where right i felt like we should have gotten more yeah more deeper insights into oppenheimer's feelings and we didn't get them and i think i think what you're saying about like the need for silence and some space applies perfectly to what you're describing there with how his character was handled where like i think there was moments where honestly it would just be like linger on that reaction like a, a couple more beats to that line you know it's like i just wanted there's all these beautiful huge close-ups of like oppenheimer's face or something and it's a stunning performance from killian murphy but uh it just feels like the like nolan is only invested in like the facts of the situation in for vast portions of this movie and it's just like we got to move on we got to get this in we got to get this in we're already at three hours so we got it we <laughs> need some there's some more details here that we got to get to so we can set it up so that you understand what's going on and it's like I understand what's going on factually, Nolan, because you're giving me all the details, but I don't understand what's going on emotionally because there's no moment where it just like slows down long enough for me to, to, to what you're saying, like feel what Oppenheimer's feeling or like sit with what he's experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree that the, the blast itself, the blast test, and then that, that, uh, auditorium scene in the wake is like the high point of the movie for me i think it's like an amazing achievement and there was a moment there where i was like oh okay i get i get what he's doing because those moments in the wake of like this just like breakneck pace where we're just going 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 on not stopping and then suddenly you like hit this wall and you're like ooh, here's the reality of yeah of all of this and you're just like faced with it you know af like it it almost gives you this sense of like a character who's just caught up in just like getting through it and trying to do it and like you know you don't have a moment to like think about whether or not what you're doing is the right thing to do it's just like you're just caught up in it and then suddenly like the reality of it hits and you're confronted with it and wow you know this is all of a sudden it becomes very real to you and i was like wow this is cool and then he goes right back to the the train just keeps going after that and you're right back into it and i was just like ah i just need to like catch my breath for a second and be able to like, yeah, like it just absorb what's what's happening here, but that that didn't seem to be what he was interested in doing. And yeah. maybe you know, maybe like you're saying, it it will get better with a second watch where you're not having to try to absorb all of this. Um, but I found it really overwhelming in that sense, and had a real strong desire to just be able to like, just sit with the material a little bit inside the movie itself and you know be able to process like the the gravity of kind mm -hmm. of some of these things that the characters are trying to grapple with and the tension in Oppenheimer's own life of those things not just like you know the the political ramifications or or whatever yeah yeah i feel like that's also an aspect where the movie kind of um didn't pay too or pay maybe didn't pay enough attention to where like i went with my uh girlfriend who was uh you know one of her remarks afterwards was like what the hell was going on with his relationships you know but yeah did he you know did he care about his wife because she you know they were flirtatious at the beginning but then she was kind of she apparently had, was a alcoholic or she had post postpartum depression was the one for after yeah, yeah. the kind of depression that sometimes can be developed after having a baby but there there was not much of their relation uh ship life after 
a few beats early on where it became uh, clear that um, they weren't taking care of their children well enough or that you know, he had to pass uh, one of them away for a little bit and then yeah it just the movie doesn't to me make, doesn't make it clear enough or didn't make it clear enough like what are we supposed to be uh, focusing on here like what's the important information because you know that the alcoholism of his wife or her problems her internal problems weren't really addressed or didn't get resolved in any right particular way instead of um just being there and then staying there i guess um that might also be just the issue of having to adapt a real life story where you have all these things that in a normal story would be uh, changed or cut out entirely because in a you know if you're just telling fiction then you have the freedom to make anything or make everything more meaningful to the story whereas with these real life stories you have to kind of grapple with that you know some things are there but not everything is connected to everything and so you have right. a lot more loose threads going on that uh, might not necessarily fit in but it, you also cannot leave out uh without significantly rewriting history in a way that you might not want to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's also hard to ask for more in this movie when it was already so much, um, when it already had so much going on. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, that's the challenge of adaptation. And it's like, it's not an easy one. And a lot of times with historical adaptations, it does trend too much or like they play it on the safe on the other side where it's like, okay, we're going to modify things or cut things out or combine characters in such a way that makes it more accessible for the screen. And, um, you know, I don't know the source material that well. He's pulling from a, a biography of, of Oppenheimer. Um, and the impression I get that, you know, is that it's very, its treatment of the historical material is very accurate, but it's like we're getting, you know, all 12, 20 scientists, you know, that are working on this project. There's little story beats with like eight of them or something, you know, it's like, there's so much material here that it's like, if you're sacrificing the sort of like emotional and physical content of the story on the altar of like getting every detail um you know it's like mm-hmm. there's that's the other end of the spectrum where you know it's like you're making a movie and not a like montage narrated montage of like a, an audiobook or whatever um i don't know that that does a disservice i think to what this movie is actually doing but there is just there there's like i did feel like th- there's too much um, and I don't know, I don't know what you would have left out, but yeah. I also felt like, um, not all of it was necessary. It wasn't that not all of it was relevant, but it, I just had a hard time understanding, like, what is the through line here that I'm really supposed to care about? Is it the bomb? Is it Oppenheimer itself? Is it the like cold war political paranoia? Uh, you know, is it, um, the way in which um, men like Strauss and their petty egos can like have like do all this damage. And then there's this like narrative about like how the truth can get twisted 
by bureaucracy and, um, you know, Oppenheimer's kind of being used as a scapegoat and all of these things. Um, and uh, yeah. And then like, and then the relationships are in there, you know, and it's like, what, which of these threads is really like the one that, um, yeah. I think that's kind of that Nolan punctuation problem that I talked about at length in my uh, three-part series on Nolan uh, for the, like, Stories of O channel. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but yeah, it's usually unclear for me on a first viewing of a Nolan movie, like, what's what's the real uh, piece of information that I'm uh, latching onto? Like, what, what thread am I holding onto as I'm being pulled through this story, which... Nolan doesn't tend to be very good at. Um, right. It's not necessarily a deal breaker, as I also explained, but yeah. it is, especially on the first viewing, it's an issue where you're still, instead of just grappling with the movie and your own feelings towards it, you're just right. you're still grappling with like the basic text of it, like how yeah. does did this happen? Uh, but then again, that's also something that I think might resolve on a second viewing, which I'm actually looking forward to because of that reason like because i do feel that was a very or he constructed the dialogue or the the hearing sequences in a almost musical way that i think gets better once you are more familiar with the movie and you can kind of tune into the rhythm a little bit more um because there were these moments where it almost felt like this aaron sorkin style yeah sequences where the, the, the conversations were just stacking on top of each other and then uh, culminating in this intense moment, which is very much akin to his type of writing. Um, but still, it does feel like there was a um, kind of a struggle of intentionality there, like where in one moment it would be like the social network, the other moment it would be one to be like the tree of life or, you know, right. someone something more um, introspective. Um, the other moment it was more... It felt like a courtroom drama, like uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, for example, um, which I think is also a very interesting movie to compare to this one, especially in terms of uh, how you deal with that, depicting the horror of the um, the event that the, right. uh, the movie is about. In this case, Oppenheimer is about the, eventually about the aftermath of um Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh the nuclear bomb droppings there uh judgment at Nuremberg I'm not sure if you've seen it uh, it's about the Nuremberg trials where a lot of these which ap- after the second world war where a lot of these uh high-ranking Nazi officers were condemned or judged uh for the holocaust basically right which is also this 3 hour pretty much all all dialogue uh, courtroom drama and it's also absolutely amazing i highly recommend anyone uh, to watch that it's still very it still holds up very much to, uh, very well today even though i think it's made in the 60s somewhere but anyways there's an interesting uh, specific comparison there that i was interested in where in oppenheimer there's this moment where the impact of Hiroshima and Nagasaki are being explained to Oppenheimer and he sort of looks away and uh, we therefore also don't get to see anything of that and I was just wondering just for you what did you think of how the movie 
depicted the actual impact of uh, the nuclear bombs in Japan and how that was uh, or how effectively that was communicated to the audience or to Oppenheimer um, or to our understanding of Oppenheimer. For some extra context in the way it's shown in um, the judgment at Nuremberg, there's this scene which lasts for about eight minutes where there's also this relaying of information about what exactly went down in the concentration camps. And so, as I said, like the difference with Oppenheimer there is that, um, in, you know, Oppenheimer was fairly quick, I think, but in Judgment Nuremberg, there's this really extended scene yeah. and you get to see all this. There's this guy who steps up and he gives like this very pretty neutrally delivered monologue in which he just calmly con conveys like this happened, this happened. And you get to see like the actual footage from uh, the Holocaust camps. Like right. some of it is just it's pretty okay for a movie to show like just the stacks of like empty shoes clothes but there's also some genuinely horrifying images there that i hadn't seen anywhere else and that have haven't left like my brain ever since i saw that movie years ago yeah and so i guess the real question is then how what's the best way to depict this kind of horror because i think oppenheimer went more in that subjective direction where it's we're not being shown the actual, the, the face of the horror, but we're seeing like the impact it had on Oppenheimer or, you know, we're, we're seeing in his, his subjective perspective, he's looking away. So we're looking away too. But what's, what do you think? What's the direction to go there? What's more effective? What's more, uh, uh, yeah. The, what's just the best way to go about that? Do you think? I'm I'm glad you brought that moment up because that was a moment that really stuck with me that I think centers on like what I liked about this movie and I think like what where I feel very conflicted about it. And one thing I want to I want to say before I get into this is like I was being a little critical earlier and I'm about to be a little critical again potentially, <laughs> but I do want to say like I think this is a kind of monumental film in a sense like and I'm glad that it it's here and I'm glad that audiences are going and like I was in a sold out theater for a movie Same. that's like three hours of like dense historical exposition and is kind of like, you know, uh, not an accessible film. And so I'm glad that this is there. And, and in a lot of ways, I think for me, it's, it's Nolan's most interesting film because, uh, you know, it maybe wasn't the most in enjoyable cinematic experience out of all his films while I was watching it. But I don't think there's any other Nolan movie where like I went to bed thinking about it when I, I didn't dream about it, but I woke up in the <laughs> middle of the night and like Oppenheimer thoughts were like swirling around in my head. And then yeah, when yeah. I woke up this morning, it was the first thing I thought about. And it's like no other Nolan yeah. movie has like gotten into my psyche in the way that this one has. So I just want to acknowledge that and think that and say that I think like it has some flaws and weaknesses in certain areas, but as a whole, it's a really astounding film. Yeah. And I have some thoughts on that too, but I'll circle back to that at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's, and one that I think is doing something really interesting. And then that's mm -hmm. where like the, the debate internal debate comes in is like mm -hmm. with what it's doing, you know, how do I, how does that make me feel? And, and the core of that issue for me 
is what you're describing here is kind of like the movie's relationship to the horror of these events and um so yeah what like we see this moment we hear the descriptions uh oppenheimer himself cannot look and like this movie also cannot look at those events it cannot bring itself to look at it i mean we get this one like horrifying terrifying moment in that auditorium where we like screams these like cheers turn into screams and then we see a few vague images that like uh and that like that moment really emotionally impacted me i think it was like a really good um way of conveying some of that some of that horror in a really effective way um but then uh but then yeah like it doesn't as we discussed already it doesn't linger with that and i think there was a huge missed opportunity here to really make the audience have to sit with this reality a little bit like i think it moves on too quickly and and you can make this i think there's a couple arguments here that are interesting which is you know one is like okay this is a subjective movie about oppenheimer that's putting you inside oppenheimer's subjective perspective and so he's not able to look and so the movie can't look and that's like a choice with which to handle the material and so um you know therefore it's it's an appropriate choice you know i can kind of see that argument but i think like i think this gets into a territory where there's this there's this way that the film is handling the character of strauss there's this one line i think his lawyer i don't know what that character was but um, there was that one like lawyer character who w- was helping him and he goes, he, he has this yeah. big moment. He like, he's like, you just weren't that important uh, oh, yeah, this whole yeah. time. And, and then kind of like the subtext of like some of that third act and like the way some of that information is presented is like, oh, Strauss wasn't that important. Oppenheimer was the real important one. He was the one who was important. He was the man behind it all. And I think that's like technically true in in a sense and that's something that like Nolan in in interviews has said yeah. like Oppenheimer is you know maybe the most important man in history it's like yes it's technically true in uh in this certain sense but we're going to use one of our favorite term I'm going to use one of our favorite terms that we like to bring up on this podcast like Herzog's like ecstatic truth i'm like the ecstatic truth of this situation is that in the wake of the aftermath of what the bombs actually are and what the bombs actually did oppenheimer himself is even insignificant oppenheimer himself is insignificant in the wake of the scale of the destruction that he took part in bringing about and i wish this movie had really made us like confront that a little bit more I think the end the ending did kind of do that where because that's where there's this whole thing where Strauss misinterprets that conversation that you know he walks out to the lake where Oppenheimer has this conversation right. with Einstein and Einstein walks away and uh Strauss thing that Oppenheimer said something to 
make Strauss look like a jerk or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it's revealed at the end, like, that's when that lawyer guy, who uh, was played by Alden, uh, what's his name, Ehrenreich, uh, the Han Solo guy, uh, the new one, uh, he says, like, oh, maybe they weren't even, or did you consider that maybe they weren't talking about you? Maybe they right. were talking about something more important, which... The line Ended works, being... but it was kind of like a typical, a little bit on Nolan's more silly side. When, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the conversation, we get to see the conversation in the climax or the the actual uh, finale of the movie. And it's uh, revealed that Oppenheimer and uh, Einstein were indeed not talking about straws at all, but they were talking about what they, or what Oppenheimer had unleashed on the world. And right. how he would, in, you know, Einstein says like, are they going to, been a medal on you but you're gonna have to live with the consequences for the with this for the rest of your life and it's now out of your hands and that's when you get like a one of the best nolan endings i think he has ever created with the score right. that vision again of nuclear destruction uh, yeah nuclear destruction enveloping the world that and a great like twist on that earlier conflict where they thought they were going to ignite the atmosphere which right in hindsight, or with the benefit of historical conflict, doesn't seem like that that interesting of a conflict because we know that that's not what happened, and so we know that 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 fear was unfounded at the time. But I like the way they included it and then twisted it around in a sort of metaphorical sense, where it it you know it, it didn't literally ignite the atmosphere, but it might as well have in the way that uh, the arms race developed after the. Uh, second world war and the way that nuclear bombs got bigger and bigger and uh the threat of nuclear violence is you know while still being contained it's still very much there and um more capable than ever at um destroying us and so that i think was a pretty perfect way to end this movie it's just uh yeah 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 no i i i i I liked also liked that ending and I think that kind of uh, makes up for some of what I'm describing um, yep. or that I struggle with. Uh, and that's that's one of the things where I really want to see what that feels like on a second a second watch. Um, it's just like it's like the the bits that are pulling off the part that feel the most important to me, I think like comprise like maybe literally like, 20 minutes or like you know total mm. running time of a movie that's like three hours long um yeah and i think that's that's where it starts to feel like oh yeah you have these points that are anchoring it in kind of like the actual significance of the situation but then like the rest of it is sort of like buckling in between there where it makes me feel like i'm not sure it's it's almost like the 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 real significance becomes this afterthought to the like the character of Oppenheimer where it's like yeah but the reason Oppenheimer is significant is because of these things and so i kind of feel like you know mm-hmm. maybe there could have been more of a balance there um i want to go back to a second for a second to the question you were originally a- asking which was like the depiction of this um mm, yeah Cause I think there's more there to maybe like discuss, which is like, I also, I also get, you know, there, there's, 
you could make a counter argument for like, well, you don't want to make a spectacle out of this yeah. event. You don't like this, this real life horror is not just like material for like a cinematic blockbuster spectacle. Um, and so I think there's like, there's something to be said for avoiding that, but like, I don't know. I just feel like there was a, it, it's like, you could have just like dropped in there. You even have this color, like, you know, like, uh, subjective black and white objective like duality it's like what if that scene where we we see oppenheimer like not being able to look had just been followed up with like a like a just even like a 30 second lingering shot that's just like a city in ruins with just like you know smoke rising from it or something and it's just Mm -hmm. like for a for a moment we were forced to just like yeah like have to look at that reality ourselves as the audience instead it's like the the that reality is just subtext you know and it's implied and then we have to like think about it after um which is fine like i I still think that's significant and interesting but i i just feel like there was a missed opportunity for that like confrontation in in the film in a more yeah, that it's it's an issue that I've always felt a little bit torn about because, um, especially you know, with regards to the Holocaust, there's been endless debate about how do you tell this story, how do you depict it, do you show it straightforward, do you make people understand it more symbolically or indirectly, um, and I think this is you know a an event of similar magnitude in terms of destruction and violence. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think I, I agree with you. The the right co- counter argument is that you don't want to turn this into a spectacle. You don't want to have the montage of very real footage and then the Corhansen uh, soundtrack sweeping beneath oh, yeah. it. You know, yeah. you don't want to include it in that way, in as, as if it is just any other storytelling element. Um, but at the same time, I also felt, or I also feel that just the bare reality, just the bare naked reality can be powerful unlike anything else like yeah i felt like this movie was also the first movie where i felt that nolan was kind of running into the limits of his insistence on practical effects right you know he doesn't want to do the bomb with cgi he doesn't want to do uh, any of the uh, hiroshima or nagasaki footage with cgi which fair enough but um at the same time i felt like the bomb it was beautiful but it it could have been like you know 10% bigger I think if you had just given into like a little bit more of let the computers do their work and I don't think that would have been would have detracted from the the beauty of practicality and I think also that uh, auditorium sequence was really great and obviously done with practical effects you know the sort of skin burn and the, the burnt corpse that was uh, very effective, but it was also very small and still simulated in a way that you just that isn't like the real thing. And I, yeah, I just can I, I can imagine what how this movie would have been if after that, after the Trinity test, the movie, and, and you had that moment where uh, Oppenheimer is hearing about the consequences of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the movie would have just jumped into this completely silent, um, you know, just that. Uh, judgment at Nuremberg type presentation where he's he's forced to sit through this 
presentation about what happened, about what the consequences, yeah. and it would just he would just even if he looked away initially, he would just look up, and then we would get to see like some of the real footage in just in a moment that is just as silent as the bomb itself, almost. But uh, I watched this documentary today um, called "White Light, Black Rain: The Destruction of Hiroshima and Nagasaki," which showed a lot of the aftermath footage, and it's just. There's just no way to simulate that yeah. practically or with CGI. That's just something that's uniquely powerful about that footage and about those uh, visions of these ruined cities and uh, maimed like individual human beings. And, you know, I understand that you don't want to go there, especially as a mainstream blockbuster filmmaker, because it can be maybe genuinely traumatizing for some people to watch footage like that but at the same time i think it could have been powerful unlike any anything else and could have been right what made this movie for me at least like right now i consider it like a flawed masterpiece but it could have been for me an instant classic if it just yeah maybe doubled down a little bit more on you know if you want if you're gonna explore this kind of darkness then go <laughs> yeah. into the heart of it you know yeah then, don't then, don't do it halfway yeah no don't walk up to it and then look through the you know through the through your hands or <laughs> right. look away at the last second and yeah that's the my only yeah the, probably my only uh, hesitation i have about my yeah. uh, judging the movie now that i can't say it would have been better but i yeah at least i think i would it would have been uniquely impactful if it just if Nolan just had this moment where he broke all his own rules, just let go of all these things that he usually uses, you know, no more stacking of timelines, no more score beneath everything, and just had this moment where for, you know, five minutes or even longer, we just sit with those consequences. Yeah. And that, then, a like, one of those close-ups of uh, Gillian Murphy, then that would have definitely landed, I think, in a way that would have been absolutely unforgettable. But, yeah, I... Yeah. Unfortunately, right now, I think there's maybe I the appreciation grows over time, but right now I'm still like I'm struggling too much to with just digesting all the things that were going on and like the uh, and the pace that it went on with that I that there's no really such an individual moment aside from the ending I think that grabbed me with uh, in, in with that kind of intensity in a way that Judgment at Nuremberg did and. Yeah, you know, in that way that you just instantly have a scene burned into, in, into like your very soul and can't, where where it won't go away. Yeah, ever again. Yeah, no, no, I think that's that's really well said, and and I I agree. I think like it, you know, it's it's scary to go to that territory, but like if you're going to deal with this kind of material like that in a, in a sense is sort of the reality of of the situation um and i don't know you know maybe <laughs> maybe maybe this movie does kind of feel that way to some people watching it um uh you know going going back to the guys in the theater afterwards the the one guy cleaning was asking me how it was and the other guy i guess had seen it or something one of the other guys he said uh he was like, it's a real wake-up call. And, uh, mm. you know, maybe our psyches are already so seared because yeah. we're over here watching, like, Bellatar and, like, Werner Herzog and, like, you know, uh, we've seen the, like, 
we've delved into some of these like you know more uh confrontational like parts of cinema and so this might not be quite at that level for us but it might i don't know it might it might feel more confrontational to people who um who haven't like who are less used to kind of exploring some of that that territory in the film yeah um so i think that's some of where this like subject subjectivity comes into how that might come across but I'll, i'll tell you what my fear is is like there's this really or the, the 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 thing that I I still nags me a little bit is like there's a really sickening scene in this movie where they go in and they're kind of trying to decide if if they're going to drop the bomb, and they're like discussing oh which cities and he's like we have a list of twelve and then he's like oh no eleven uh oh, yeah. we're taking a sock off because it's it's very culturally important and my wife and I honeymoon there it's a lovely city and it's like it's just like the the actual destruction the actual reality of what they're doing is like this complete afterthought to the people who are who are doing it and it's so casually treated as if it's nothing and i'm like it it almost feels like sometimes this movie is also doing that where it's just like oh it's just this almost afterthought that's like nagging at at the back of oppenheimer's mind Hmm. and um you know maybe maybe that's part of what this movie has to say that's interesting where it's like the pe- for the people who do like bring about such you know destruction or monumental shifts in history or or it's like maybe it has something to say about how it's possible to just do something like this and just be like like the actual reality of it be just sort of this like nagging afterthought um you know i think that has some interesting implications uh yeah. And maybe that's more the heart of what like Nolan is trying to get to in the examination of like this man as a character where you can just get caught up in this thing and not really have to think about it except where you're like really confronted with it. Yeah, there's there's a definitely a great depiction of like the, the banality of evil in this movie yes. in some parts. Yes. And one thing also that stuck out to me from the documentary I watched is that the there's these interviews with the actual pilots from the plane that dropped the bomb. And there's this guy who says like, oh yeah, I armed it. So I was technically the, the last one to touch the bomb before it hit the ground. And these pilots, they say they specifically mention not having lost like any sleep over it. Like there's one guy who says right. like, oh, I didn't have any nightmare about it like ever. And that to me was also this very chilling moment where it, for, yeah, for some reason, s- stuff like this can happen without people's conscience being triggered in any way yeah. and that i think is also very much uh part of the wider landscape that oppenheimer as someone who is plagued by his conscience clearly uh, finds himself stuck in and finds himself having to uh navigate this this, this landscape where he uh, you know he can either he has to conform or he's cast out and so that's also i guess part of the later struggle where he wants to stay on the inside in order to exert some influence um because i think the movie also makes it clear that he thought or at least maybe that was his naive ambition that he could create this and then he could contain it like he can yeah, yeah. create the bomb as an example of uh power or showing the power that is then enough to keep all other wars like at bay and that's you know it's clearly uh as the movie itself was at some point says, like, how can a man who sees so much can be so blind? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
also I think a fascinating aspect of this movie where it does explore that conflict and that tension between being a conscious person in a world that by an you know on, on a collective scale can sometimes feel very indifferent and ambivalent about any moral consideration and that it's just like caught up in that machine that has to keep on going otherwise someone else will uh surpass your your machine with theirs you know and um yeah i, I think that's something that i might uh pay attention to more on the second viewing because I think that's more in the in-between moments that don't necessarily as directly relate to the first half of the movie where or the first thread of the movie where um, Oppenheimer builds the bomb which I guess is the part you know there's that little prologue at the beginning with uh, about Prometheus yeah. who steals the fire from the gods which I think is very much related in that first section and then the the other one is the uh, the part where he's eternally punished for it, uh, which is, I think, very nicely captured in the fusion section where he's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, just as Prometheus in a way, he's just uh, punished for what he had done. And, uh, you know, both in the literal sense that he's um, discredited and has his security clearance revoked and also in the more spiritual sense that he's just completely plagued and will forever be plagued by being the man who has opened Pandora's box and can now no longer close it and has to right. live with those consequences of having essentially set fire to a world um, or to the world uh, which can now is now out of his control yeah yeah and it's it's still relevant to our times that that thematic exploration because um you know, not to get too trendy, I don't, I'm not comparing necessarily AI directly to uh, the nuclear bomb. But like, if you look at and listen to the people who are working on AI and what they worry about, it's like, they're very much in Oppenheimer's position where like many of the people who are like, hmm. openly working on AI, have this sort of same paradoxical, like, hubris of like, oh, yeah, there's a chance this could destroy all of humanity. Like we know that, uh, but we're also working on ways to contain it. And it's inevitable anyway, if we don't make it, China will. So we, you know, we got to do it. And it's like the, the exact same like rationale and reasoning and like, uh, stuff that was behind this is playing out all over again with like a new technology. And it's like, maybe yeah. that new technology will never pan out in the same way. Uh, but you know, there's definitely still a lesson about how we go about doing these things and how we justify these things that it's not like we've learned as humanity. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I think that's, that's territory that is warrants, um, warrants certain exploration. I think it also, to some extent, I thought of the this whole story also as a metaphor not necessarily a metaphor but it i think it symbolically applies also to climate change in a way in the sense that we in, in this case we've literally changed like the um uh composition of the atmosphere to such an extent right. that there's something like some chain reaction has been set in motion that it's only like it's questionable now to what extent we can still contain it and or uh put a stop to it or yeah. 
do anything to to uh, alter it in uh, and and there is a very real sense a fear that it that this chain reaction too might like envelop the world or might set the atmosphere on fire metaphorically speaking um in a way that yeah that that also might in the future looking back on this moment feel like our like oppenheimer moment even though there's not one individual that we can point to in this case it's yeah uh, which makes it to some extent or in some ways more interesting because it's you know it, it, there there is something almost impossible about trying to rel- relate the the weight of the nuclear bomb and its implications to the psyche of one individual i think there's just a and that's also i think very much the paradox that the movie explores like can you place this grade of a burden on one human being and then have that make sense in some way or is it yeah. just too big to phantom and is, is there you know if the man is remorseful is there a punishment that's big enough for him to be able to uh find redemption of some sorts or if not you know is there a punishment big enough so that he can be uh rightfully punished you know like is there a is there you know such a huge disconnect there between the kind of temporal and spatial dimensions that this force of nature or this force of technology operates on and that we as limited subjective beings are like just too small of a part in to really connect the two in a meaningful sense um and so in that sense with climate change there's an it might be more interesting in that way because it's more directly obvious that this is not the fault of one person who created the bomb but more of a collective right maneuver but you know uh there too there's a there's very much still a struggle as to how does the individual person position themselves with regards to responsibility or conscience and um individual action and, and whatnot and um as opposed to like systemic movements and systemic changes um right which is of course very much a very relevant discussion but yeah i guess that's going to be another three-hour movie yes yeah, yeah. Nolan might make it <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 a fascinating discussion i think like i think the i think there's something about the like there's something about being able to pin it or hinge it on a singular person that is very attractive to the human psyche in a certain way it's like mm. we can try to make a judgment about Oppenheimer, the man, and and that is a way of like I don't know. There's there's a sort of like there's something where humans want to like imagine ourselves as these. They it's like we love this idea that like one man could do this thing that changes history. And it's like the almost the debate about whether or not he was right or wrong in doing that is like secondary to the fact that he did it, like he accomplished mm. it. It's like it's like he became, you know, that that's that's where I feel this like I am become death destroyer of worlds. It's like you can see that you can see two things in that. 
you can see one in Oppenheimer uh, saying that as a recognition of the reality of what he did. You can also see this incredible like self-aggrandizement where it's like he himself has transcended to the level of like a god capable of destroying the world itself. And I think like there's something about that and grappling with that in humanity that uh, there's a sort of like dark romance to it that is very much in this story that I think is not mm -hmm. in, in something like climate change. And it's like we're almost less able to grapple with that because, you know, just this reality of like bad or good things might be happening on like a society level scale that we that any one person might not have that much control over. It's like yeah. that that hurts our ego a little bit in a way that we don't really want to like confront as much. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think there's an interesting tension there that's definitely at play in this move in this movie, but I think not necessarily explicitly uh, that yeah, much as much for, as implicitly. For me, that's, I think the more of the emotion that I left the film with like the right in that final uh, swelling of the music and that uh, final conversation with Einstein like for me that's the kind of obsession that I walked away with that idea that there are these greater forces of nature that we are increasingly aware of but also that we're simultaneously aware of that we cannot fully capture them or even comprehend them in uh, within the limitations of our own individual being and then yes this idea that we might set something in motion that we cannot, that then runs out of our control, but is coming, coming to, you know, come back to bite us in the ass or whatever. That's that to me is also very, uh, something that's been on my mind a lot. And I think that which this movie really captured quite well, this idea of doing something from which or of just passing a point of no return in any sense of that, that you can sort of phantom that right. concept, um, which is something that to me has always been somewhat terrifying. Like this idea that you can do something which then cannot be undone. I think yeah. that, I think also speaking more generally about humans, we always have this sense that whatever you do, there's, you know, if you do something wrong, there's punishment and there's redemption. And, you know, there's, there's always this capability to come back to some uh, some point of fixture or, or some point of familiarity and the idea that you can sort of disconnect yourself or spiral out of that inner like anchoring point and just cast yourself adrift without hopes of returning that to me that I think is very um, fascinating and very scary in a way and I think that especially when we see now more and more these these kinds of conflicts play out on these societal scales, you know, whether it's us messing with nuclear, you know, with the atomic, right, with the literal fabric of reality and us, with, you know, in the context of climate change, us messing with like the whole atmosphere of the earth. There's these kinds of issues become seem to become more pressing and therefore more relevant. And that's, uh, yeah, I think one of the reasons that Oppenheimer just uh, has been on my mind like 
almost 24 hours now. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I still think is why why I want to... I always want to skip ahead in time so I can just return to it. Right. Uh, having seen it more often and having contemplated it more often because it does... It, it is, after all, like... I, I realize we've been a little bit critical maybe in this conversation, but, you know, aside from that the small frustrations of that first viewing i think it also it very clearly resonated with me in a way that i don't yet fully understand and that need just needs time to kind of have its chance to be articulated um, yeah and for me a lot of my favorite movies are the ones that i didn't immediately walk out of thinking oh this is now my new favorite movie like a lot of right. my favorite movies are precisely the ones that were complex enough on initial viewing that I needed that time to really let them digest and really let them sit yeah. with me before I could like develop my own connection to it and develop that own uh, meaning about it. And that, um, so in that sense, you know, sometimes a frustrated first viewing <laughs> can be a good sign that it's just so dense with, not just dense in the sense that we talked about with just, that it just has packed with information, but it can also be just dense with complicated emotions and, you know, triggering all these deep, dark, like feelings and fears and whatnot that uh, just need time to fully envelop themselves and fully um, express themselves. And that's, in that sense, it can be a good thing. And yeah, I'm just uh, looking forward to how Oppenheimer will, uh, flourish into something more or something different over time yeah yeah we'll see i i also i also am interested to see how how i feel about it will evolve so like yeah. I, i've had a lot of experiences where i i like eventually come to like something or appreciate something more and then every now and then like tenet was one of those movies where i was convinced on rewatches i was going to like it more and then i just kind of <laughs> actually ended up liking it less uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really see how that would end up being the case here. But I also think, you know, in the discussion of, of movies, as we're kind of wrapping things up here, it's like, I think in the discussion of movies, there's often not a lot of space given for like flaws, uh, for a movie to be flawed and still yeah. good where it's like, especially a movie of this scale, um, you know, it's it's like there's so many things it's doing incredibly interesting. And I don't think it has to be perfect in order for it to be like, for example, one of the best films of the year. I think mm -hmm. like there's a lot contained within this movie. And I don't think every moment of it needs to be perfect in order for its significance to still kind of be felt or, you know, for there to be an appreciation of what it's doing or the craft or those kinds of things. Um, yeah. So I want to hold that in the balance too, as well, where it's like, you know, this, <laughs> you know, when you watch a three hour movie that's this, this big, you're getting like two, almost two movies worth of movie anyway. And it's like, I feel like there's a, gr a truly great uh, movie in here and like a fl another different flawed movie, like both contained within the same yeah. running time uh that's that's my impression on first watch and we'll, we'll yeah. see maybe the flaws will fade a little bit into the background 
Yeah, last thing I'll mention is that I do think that Nolan, again, pushed himself to try out new things, which I always yeah, admire yeah. about him. Like, he's, you know, he, he makes movies that I think are always flawed in these little and, you know, oftentimes in, interesting ways. But he's also, he's never, like, boring in the sense that, you know, oh, it's another Nolan movie. Like, right. <laughs> he's never, like, it never yeah. feels stale in the sense that some other filmmakers yeah. feel like, once they've developed their own voice, they kind of keep repeating it. And I feel like Nolan uh, does keep pushing those boundaries a little bit, even though uh, his first venturing into romance is uh, was a little bit... Yeah. <laughs> the audio the audio was well mixed. Yeah, we watch with subtitles, so that's yeah. never... Although here, sometimes sometimes the, the, the movie would go so quickly, and then in these hearings, there would be... Uh, to keep you kind of uh, on track as to who's being talked about, they would be like, oh, and then there's this this guy, and there's this two-second cutaway shot from right, that guy, yeah. so you know who it is. But then if you're also reading the subtitles, you have to go up and down right. like so quickly in order to keep up. So I try to just listen to it as much as possible because I, I usually can understand it well enough. Uh, yeah. My English is good enough to watch a movie, but when the subtitles are there, you, your eyes are kind of naturally drawn to them anyways. Um, yes. So I tried not to look at them too much unless I really felt like I'm not understanding what's being said. But uh, yeah, that was a kind of uniquely uh, subtitle problem for <laughs> this movie. Yeah, I can see that. And yeah. also uniquely Dutch issue is that they that Oppenheimer at one point supposedly speaks Dutch in a presentation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which absolutely he didn't. It was just <laughs> German. I don't even I don't even know how mistakes like that are still made, even though it was supposed to be that it was uh, uh, deliberate that the guy the American just didn't understood the difference right. between Dutch and German. But then Oppenheimer also didn't correct him. He didn't say like, "Oh, that wasn't Dutch. I was speaking German." Right. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why that keeps happening. <laughs> even with Hoyt, they have a Dutch uh, cinematographer, so Hoyt van Hoytema is uh, half Dutch. So I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's everything for now. So yeah, I guess that's it for Oppenheimer for now. We might revisit it in the future sometime to see how it's kind of settled into the public and in our personal consciousness. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, be sure to follow us on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula. On Nebula, you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. This month we talked about uh, Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which was a lot of fun, but before that we've also covered movies like Fight Club, Babylon, Avatar The Way of Water, uh, Drive, and many, many others. You can sign up directly at our Nebula page, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the description. Alternatively, you can support us on Patreon, where you'll find the Cinema of Meaning Discord community, in which you can discuss movies with us and with fellow listeners, and the catalogue of bonus episodes is also available there. The link for that is also in the description. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning, and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>